morning. Yeah. Amen. Thank you for that. That opening, Josh. Well, it's good to be back. I guess we were traveling last week. It's good to be back and be with the church and the family. It's a blessing. So I'd like to start with a prayer. Let's pray. Lord, our Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word that was already given. We thank you, Lord, that you love us and you care for us. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together here to look at your word, to hear what you would have us hear. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us this morning, Lord, that your word would come through, that your spirit would be present and give us understanding, that you'd give us revelation of your will, your heart, that you give us a heart, hearts after you, that you teach us and work in us to build upon that rock, which is you. Lord, bless the words that I speak here. We pray for your blessing over our lives. And keep us all and direct us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So, yes, the opening... Um, it ties in well with uh, what I want to share. I want to speak today on the life, <clears throat> the life of Christ, Christianity as our life and eternal life. <clears throat> you know, we serve the God of life, the Almighty, the Creator, the eternal God. And he lives in a light that cannot be comprehended. And he's a God who always was, he always is, and he always will be. He's a God who breathed life into his creation. <clears throat> and as we look at Christianity, Christianity is, uh, is all about life. It's centered around that. <clears throat> it's all about a new life. A new beginning. That's foundational to it. <clears throat> and uh, yes, it's true. If we look at it, we're bound in uh, we're bound in the body of flesh. As humans, our mind and our soul has this affinity, this affinity, and this drawing towards sin. We battle against our flesh almost every, almost continually. It can become a tremendous. And it can, be, it can become tremendously heavy. And that's my, my heart today, my burden. It can become tremendously heavy if we don't, if we neglect to realize that our God is the God of life. And God's life, he, he has given that to us, His Holy Spirit of His own self to dwell inside us. And, you know, Christianity... It can become a little bit um, like defense, like always playing defense. You know, if, you, if you've ever seen that, anyone who's ever played sports, um, if you're always playing just defense, you'll never win. If you're just playing always on the defensive, you have to play offensive. You have to be offensive and look outward 
You have to have the source um, of life flowing through us and flowing out from us. You know, you can have the best defense, the best defensive team in the world. And if they never score, they'll never win. Sooner or later, the defense will break up or there'll be a mistake and the other team will score. So we have to be in the defensive. <clears throat> and it's, it's the same way in, in battles. And Christianity is often looked as, looked uh, brought, brought to us in the picture of a battlefield, a battle, uh, good versus evil. And uh, one, uh, one may have the problem of too much defense, offense, and not enough defense, but we need both. And so, so what's, what's offensive and what's defensive in Christianity? And I don't want to talk too much about that. I want to speak of uh, the life of Christ, the life in us. But if, we, if we're always just uh, guarding against, uh, against sin, just, okay, don't do this, don't do this, stop doing this, um, avoid this, avoid that. There has to be, we have to, as Christians, we believe that our life is in Christ. And it's Him, it's His life working through us. And we, we need to have the offensive part where we're, we're engaging the enemy. Not just always um, trying to avoid conflict. And it, it, it's like, uh, it, that's why in our Christian walk we need to nurture prayer. We need to pray to see God, to have His life in us, flowing through us. We need to study the Word. To have the Word come into us and build us up. And we have to build each other up in the same way. And those are, those are what I'm looking at as, as the offensive things in life, the offense. Um, <clears throat> so there, there's a balance there. And uh, I don't know, for me, I often feel like I get caught up in, in the, the other side of it, where it's just um, avoid this, avoid that, avoid this, and, and stay, walk the line. Where... We, I have, I've, I've just had this burden to where we need to press in and have his life flow out through us. You know, Christianity, it's the gospel of life. You know, all, almost all religions in mankind, of mankind, they recognize that, uh, all religions recognize that mankind has a problem. You know, even in the first weeks of our lives, a child can show anger and selfishness. No one needs to teach a child to be selfish, to be disobedient, to, to even to steal, to take what's not theirs, to look out for themselves. It even comes through in the sweetest of children. But they're all sweet, right? But throughout the world, in every culture, and every ethnic group, they are all plagued by sin. Humans are capable of committing all manner of unthink unthinkable atrocities. Um, it's un unbelievable how bad humans can be if they're left to themselves. And if, if you look at uh, different cultures around the world, 
you know, the one that comes to mind are like uh, the the jungle people uh, or wherever the, those uh, those most isolated tribes. They they're in that place where they're seeking to uh, they have the, they they conjure up these gods, these list of gods that they try to appease because naturally we associate good and bad things in our life. We, we all have an awareness that there's an, a higher power, I believe so. Only the most educated um, come to the conclusion of, uh, of atheism, which is a little strange. But in most cultures, there is that, uh, that burden for people to appease gods, to appease um, the gods that they've angered. And, and most cultures, they have uh, this, this picture of, of this uh, evil God. Not, not necessarily evil, but angry God who is angry at them. And all they're trying to do is appease, appease that God and come back on, on his good terms so he'll help them and bless them. <clears throat> um, some, some, like I said, deny the existence of God. And some literally worship thousands of gods, like the Hindus. They have these thousands and thousands of gods that they, they are trying to appease, to make them all, um, to appease them to where they, they bless them and they're with them and they help them in their life. So there's a constant nagging and a constant struggle in most religions to come to peace with God, to, to, to quiet their conscience, to be good enough and to be ready for eternity. My question is, what about us? What about Christianity? How are we different? And I want to take my text today, this morning, out of uh, first, uh, John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, um, chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll be going through some, some verses there. If you want to turn there. So John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And here John, he's giving the introduction to his gospel. And uh, I find it quite interesting, the way he, he brings this out. He says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And he's, he's obviously referring to Jesus, even though he doesn't mention his name. And he's calling him the Word, the Word of God. Everything in creation, everything in creation, everything around us that we see, it wasn't pulled, it wasn't stretched, it wasn't molded, and it wasn't cut out or assembled. It was spoken into existence. It was spoken into existence. The word of God was spoken, and it appeared. It was made out of nothing, just by the word. Here John calls Jesus the Word. Everything was made by Jesus, by Him. He is the Creator, 
and therefore the master of everything we own, we, we can touch, we can see, or we can feel. Verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. In him was life. Jesus was and is the light and life of the world. He came and he walked and lived in this world as a bright and a shining light. But the darkness, he says, and he's, he's building this picture. Here we, he, he's building this picture of Jesus, who he is, who he was, and who he is. And that he came as a shining light into the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness couldn't stand it. In this world, darkness seemed to prevail and to resist the light and life of Christ. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. And here he's, he's bringing John into the picture, John the Baptist. And he came and he was a witness of the light. And I think we sometimes fail to recognize the significance of the ministry of John the Baptist. He was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, to preach repentance and baptism. And also that he bore witness of Jesus. John was a renowned prophet and he had an established ministry by then. By the time Jesus came on the scene, everybody knew who he was. And everybody knew, almost everybody recognized that he was a prophet of God. They knew what he stood for. From, the, from Herod's soldiers to Herod to all the way to the fishermen in Galilee, they all knew who John was, that he was a prophet. And John, bearing witness to Jesus' ministry, was tremendously important for establishing it. You know, the Pharisees once came to him, Jesus, challenging him that he was bearing witness of himself. He says, where, where is your witness? And they wanted to know who could testify of him. And in John chapter 5, he answered him that John was sent to bear witness of him. And he said, John, John bore witness of me. And it was important, but they still didn't accept the witness. They, they refused to accept him. And then Jesus said, but I have a higher witness, and that's God. <clears throat> but going on to verse 8. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light. So he says John wasn't the light, but he was sent, bear, sent to bear witness of the true light. <clears throat> verse 9. That was the true light, which lighted every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. And, and think about this. He was in the world that was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So John was not that light, but he was a witness of it. He testified that Jesus was who he said he was. That Jesus was the true light, which gives light to all the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And I want to take a minute to ponder the statement, to ponder what, uh, what John, the, the Apostle John, the, the writer, is saying here. We're reading the introduction to the Gospel of John, 
This is in the first chapter. And the whole gospel is about Jesus. But he, he hasn't mentioned Jesus' name at all up to this point. In fact, he first mentions his name, Jesus, in, uh, in, in verse 17. But he's clearly speaking about Jesus in these verses. And you can see he is building, he's building a point, he's building a case of who Jesus is. He's giving us the background and the verification of Jesus before even introducing him by name. <clears throat> and here Jesus came into this world he created, these people that he had created. The Almighty God, he took on flesh and became a man. It's like the Creator became the creation, became his own creation, so he could save them. You know, I've often wondered why God cares. Why does God, why does God care? Why, why, does, why should he trouble himself for us? And the only reasonable answer is, is love. That he loves us. And I, I don't think we can figure out why. So then God becomes a man. He humbles himself. And becomes the son of a poor carpenter in the occupied country of Israel. He grew up as a poor child. He suffered hunger, cold, humiliation, and finally rejection. The son of God, God incarnate, walking in flesh, in the flesh among men. They rejected, they despised, and they ridiculed him. And it says his own received him not, even his own did not accept him and believe him. His blood brothers, his blood brothers rejected him. I mean, we, we kind of go like it was all good in the end, but, um, but those things, those are real and painful. His hand-picked disciples, they wavered and bickered and even denied him at the end of his life. <clears throat> but, Verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God. Even to them that believed on his name, believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But as many as believed on him, but as many as received him, gave he the power to become the sons of God. And this, this statement, this verse alone, It should strike awe into our hearts. But to those who received, who receive and believe in His name, <clears throat> they gave, He gave the power to become the sons of God. And this is the life I want to talk about this morning. 
As Christians, we make so many extraordinary claims about what we believe. And sometimes it just, I think it, it goes over our head, even the things we say. But, I th but this, is, I believe, is the biggest one. This is the most extraordinary claim that we can make. That we become the sons of God by adoption. We become the brothers of Jesus Christ. How is this even possible? How can you even comprehend that? Seeing who God is. What He's done and, and, what, and what He is. <clears throat> but it's not by natural birth. It's not because we want in our flesh. It's not because we want in our flesh. Or because we decided or chose to do that. And here he, he brings out an interesting point. It's, it's, not, it's not of anything that we did even. And it's not even because um, anyone chose or directed us in, the, in, in that way. It's because God chose us. It's because God chose us. He drew us. <clears throat> and we in turn accepted that calling. Believing that Jesus truly is the Son of God, and give ourselves to Him. It's what it means to be born again. To be born into the family of God. To be born of the Spirit. And to become the sons of God. And if we truly stop and think about it, it's hard, it's hard to comprehend. It's, it's an unbelievable, um, it's almost an uncomprehendable promise, a claim. And I want to bring us to ponder that, that this morning. So I want to go ahead um, to move... Uh, jump ahead a few chapters to John chapter 3 and just discuss a little more to talk about, touch a little more about what it means what it means to be uh, to be born again to, be the adopt, to become the adopted sons of God and I know I'm just I'm, not, I'm just going to touch on this on this, uh, this beautiful and glorious subject but <clears throat> John chapter 3 verse 1 there was a man, and we are all very familiar with this chapter. Where there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And here, this Pharisee, Nicodemus, he went by night in secret. He had to go look up Jesus because a lot of the people in his party um, hated Jesus and wanted to destroy him already. And <clears throat> it's interesting what he said to Jesus right away. 
He said, we know that you're a teacher of God because of the miracles that you do. They knew that he was sent by God because seeing the miracles and the wonders that he did. So they didn't question that he was, they didn't even question, he didn't, Nicodemus and he was didn't question that he was a good man, a prophet at least, a prophet of God. Then Jesus jumped right in and he said, except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again, you can't even see it. You can't understand the kingdom of God or how it, even, how it even could work. He says you can't even see it. But Nicodemus replied, well, how is that even possible? No man can be born again. Can a man go, <clears throat> can a man go into, his, into the womb again and be born again? So verse 5. This, that's a good valid question, I think. Um, Jesus thought he should know all this already, but I'm not sure how he could have known. <laughs> Jesus said to him later, if, if, you're a if you as a leader, you don't understand these things, what's, what's going on? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm certainly not surprised that he didn't understand this. So verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Well, born of water and of the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it come and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So what does it mean to be born again? Unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you need to be born of water. And that's referring to the natural birth and of the Spirit. There has to be a spiritual rebirth. So obviously, naturally, we are all born of the flesh. But we're not only born, we also inherit the sin nature the Bible refers to as our flesh. So when we're all born, when we're born, we inherit the sin nature. And in our spiritual life, our flesh can become one of our greatest enemies. It can be one of the things that drags us down. It can be one of the, the biggest battles. In fact, I believe it often is. The biggest battle for Christians is our own flesh. It becomes that. <clears throat> and our flesh is a, is a reference to our natural affinity to sin, our natural hankering to, uh, to things that are not good, to things that are evil. We receive this sin nature from our parents and it, it traces back all the way to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve in the garden. When they sinned, God told them they would surely die and they did. We read the story and, and where we we were waiting for them to die, and we don't quite see it, but they died. Their spirit, in their spirit, they died. <laughs> they surely died spiritually. They went from being these two people, two perfect people who loved to walk in the presence of God in the cool of day and fellowship with Him. They became these frightened and spiritually uh, dead people. They had to flee from the presence of God from that day on. 
and later there's a reference I think it's in, in Moses um, if, if nobody God said no man can see my face and live so if they would have come into the presence of God they would have surely died right away <coughs> they would have physically died instead of being perfectly pure in spirit they were now spiritually dead they were pulled to selfishness pride and bitterness the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that which is born of the flesh is flesh the flesh is corrupt you cannot change that you have to die you have to be born of the spirit and there's what I want to what I want to focus on today is that there is something that really happens when this happens it's not just a mental something that happens in your head or in your heart or whatever <clears throat> there is something that really changes people you know sometimes it seems uh, people zone out a little bit when they hear about the spirit like it's something I, I can't understand anyway and I but I don't think anybody has a very clear and, and anyways I don't have a very clear and a deep understanding of, of spirit and, and what exactly everything every little bit means and how it works there is a mystery in it there is, there is something mysterious about it something that we cannot understand but we are spiritual beings but <clears throat> and, and we can come to think that it's something that's, that's not tangible it's something that's imagined or something that's impossible to comprehend but the reality it, it can be hard to understand this whole process can be hard to understand and comprehend I think you can oversimplify it and you can make it too complex the beauty of it is you don't have to understand it you don't have to understand the in and outs of how everything works in fact according to the teachings of Christ the simpler your faith the simpler you accept these truths the easier they are <laughs> the easier they are to accept um, there's something and but but we should we should I don't want to this and all the fact that we should look into it we should seek it out we should study <coughs> Jesus said the spirit is like the wind it blows where it wants you hear it but you don't know or understand where it's going or where it's coming from and the beautiful thing is you don't have to we don't have, we don't have to understand everything <clears throat> so but there's a few things we do need to understand so I want to go to uh, chapter 3 verse 14 we're going to skip a few verses here for the sake of time. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world <laughs> to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus said, the Son of Man, and here he's speaking of himself, the Son of Man will be lifted up, crucified, and whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And you know, people often feel condemned um, when they hear the gospel message of salvation. Because the Spirit is convicting, convicting them of sin in their life. But God's heart is not to punish, it's not to condemn, it's not to hurt us in any way. But God's heart is to save us, to save us from sin, to bring us into fellowship, into perfect fellowship with Him, to give us the strength and the power to overcome sin in our lives. That's His heart, to have us as His sons and daughters, to have that relationship that fellowship, that love, obedient relationship. <clears throat> he gave His only begotten Son, and He gave Jesus to live in our shoes, to struggle the same things, the same struggle that we struggle with, to suffer the things that we suffer, and so much more than to die for us in our place so we could have eternal life. You know, it sounds too good to be true. It's the good news. That's why it's called the good news. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But that's all it takes. But it's not only believing that Jesus existed. It's, it's not believing that Jesus was born that Jesus was an actual historical figure. Almost everybody believed, most people believe that. That a man called Jesus walked around in Galilee. It's believing in Jesus. That is to believe that he truly is the Son of God. That he is God come in the flesh. That he lived, he walked a perfect life. He died and was crucified. You can't just leave, believe a little bit of it. You have to believe everything. If there's one thing that's not true, then there has to be more things that aren't true about the story of Jesus, about the account. We have to believe that he died for our sins. And that he was resurrected and rose again. <clears throat> he conquered death. And he ascended to heaven. But if we believe that he is God come in the flesh. And that his words are the words of the almighty eternal God. That his words, the words that Jesus spoke, the words that we can read here today. They are the words 
of the Almighty Eternal God. If we believe that, then we have to believe that every word he spoke is true. That it's more true than anything we could think, think up, or anything, we, anything else we could read, anything we could learn, or even anything we've experienced. If this is the Word of God, literally the Word of God, then we come to Him in broken repentance and pray for forgiveness. Truly believing in Jesus always brings a person to repentance and to living a holy life. There's, that's, always, that's always the same result, truly believing in Jesus. <clears throat> when we realize we're lost without Him he, and that He is our only hope, we repent of our sins. And Jesus promised that He would dwell with us. He would make our abode with us, His abode with us. He would plant His own life inside us. And we become born again. The Holy Spirit would guide and direct our lives and draw us to Him. And you know, the more one spiritually grows and the more one is led by the Spirit, the more they understand how God works, how the Spirit works, and what He is trying to do in our lives. <clears throat> Amen. It's a beautiful gospel with beautiful promises. And the point I want to finish on is that it's real. It's real. And it changes people for the better. It changes people. <clears throat> if it doesn't affect your life or change you, then maybe you don't have the real thing. Maybe it's a counterfeit. Maybe you don't really believe that Jesus was who he said he is. God's heart is to draw us all, to make us pure and clean, to adopt us and have us as his own sons and daughters, to make us pure and clean. And if we look at some of the stories, I have a few here from the Bible that uh, some of the accounts, the disciples, you know, they went from all trying to be the greatest, trying to climb that ladder to be next to Jesus, to be the most powerful in the coming kingdom. They went to a life of serving each other. They changed. They were very different people after Pentecost than the twelve who followed Jesus around. Very different people. One of the uh, most obvious accounts is Peter, who was, who was uh, very different. Before, before uh, he was strong, before he was, uh, he denied Jesus. He said he was, he was sure he wouldn't. He was sure he would stand with Jesus till his death. But when it came down to it, he denied him. And he ran and, and hid. But later, after Pentecost, he was filled. And the power flowed out of him. And there was no more fear in his life. Maybe there was some fear. But he surely overcame. <clears throat> if we look at Zacchaeus, 
um, one of the examples I thought of. You know, he went from cheating and stealing from the people, from people on a daily basis, collecting taxes, <coughs> to giving it all away to the poor. Completely changed, completely different minds at a different heart. That change doesn't happen automatically. Somebody who's, who's stingy and who's, uh, who's been hoarding money, that doesn't reverse itself very easily. Something happened in his heart, in his life. Something really changed him. Sinners, the most despised of society, they followed Jesus. They left their sinful lives and followed Jesus. Paul, one of the clearest examples, he went from persecuting the church, dragging them out from, out from houses and throwing them in prison. He went on to become one of the most powerful voices and vessels for God's use in building the church. It's a powerful gospel. It changes us. Christianity is the gospel of life, new life, eternal life, rivers and fountains of life. <clears throat> John chapter 7, verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And I want to leave, leave us with, with a few questions. Can we believe, can we truly believe? that he is can we trust that he is can we believe that every word he said is truth can we believe that he truly loves and cares for us like a good father can we believe that his promises will never fail can we believe that he wants to save us and free us from sin and from every bondage. <clears throat>